This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. That music means one thing and one thing only. Our man from ESPN, the one and only Greg Wyshynski joining me. Hello, Wish. What's up? How How is everything? Uh, I'm... I'm good and, and sleepy after waking up to uh, staying up to watch the Devils last night uh, win again. Ah, are you uh, now? The, the the one knock is well, the schedule is easy for the Devils to kick off the season. To which many, I think, sane people will say, "Well, you just play the games that you're presented, and we'll we'll see where it goes." I will tell you one thing: the uh, Nico Heischer Jesper Bratt fan clubs are uh, are gaining new members by the minutes. <laughs> Greg Wyshynski. Like I, I've maintained for like a, a few years now, like like uh, uh, Heischer is uh, Swiss for Bergeron, and now mm. we're starting to see it a little bit more now. Don't you think? Oh, definitely. Uh, so we put out our first awards watch on uh, ESPN this morning, uh, in which we canvass actual voters. That's the gimmick. No, no guesswork. No, no fancy. Okay. You know, uh, Dom from the Athletic uh, numbers crunching. Um, we, we mm-hmm. canvass the voters and, and he sure, uh, is one of the top three right now for the Selkie. Now, Bergeron is number one, as to be expected. His numbers are fantastic. He, he is, mm-hmm. you know, already climbed the mountain five times, but it's, uh, Bergeron, uh, and he sure, and Mark Stone right now are the top three for the award. First of all, I'm offended. I didn't get an invitation as well. I'm going to need to uh, return to my faint, fainting couch after the, uh, after the program today. But we'll park that insult and put it on the other, the, the pile of insults that I've had to endure uh, since I've known you going now, back now, some, now, hold uh, on. Let me, years now. Let, well, let's pause on this for a yes. second because it, the, okay. panel, the panel is anonymous. So I just want to put it out there that it's entirely possible that Merrick is trying to throw you all off the scent. By saying that he hasn't been invited, <laughs> when in fact he has been invited, because nobody that's involved oh, right, in the panel yes. is going to fess up to it. Oh, the first the first rule of ESPN awards panel is you don't talk about ESPN <laughs> awards panel. Exactly is that right. we're kind of we're angling towards here, which is that the deal? Okay, mm-hmm, that's good. Um, listen, man, doubles are good. Like, and for a couple of years now. Like if you uh, if you looked at New Jersey and and again it might just sound too simple but uh, you look at them and you watch them play and you say if this team could get a save and stay healthy they'd be a really good team in the NHL and so far they've been able to get a save and stay healthy and lo and behold here we are with the New Jersey Devils the question is can they keep it up the question is what'll happen when they start to play some of the the Carolinas and the Boston Bruins and these types of teams but for right now New Jersey looks awesome just enjoy it because Edmonton is on the horizon wish. Yeah. And the other part of that, that um, trio of things that had to go right for the devils was also their power play had to be something better than the caca poo poo that it was last season. They, they bought on Andrew Brunette um, from the uh, Florida Panthers, your, your interim coach, Jack Adams finalist who then was unceremoniously dumped. Everybody assumed it was to have him eventually take over for Lindy Ruff within the first 15 games of the season. Uh, but it turns out that maybe that Three won't happen. Games. But, 15. Yeah, I, know. But, <laughs> I know, right? So they bought him on to fix the power play. And, and you know, it, they're not world beaters. You know, they're not like the, uh, the, the Oilers over here. But they're 22% yeah. right around that midpoint of the NHL's effectiveness. And and that's much better than it was last year. And their kill has been good. Their special teams have definitely improved. That was the other part of it. But you bought up the Lindy Ruff of it all. And, and it's kind of amazing to think that 
we are a scant few weeks away from Devils fans echoing the chant of, of Fire Lindy through the rafters of the Rock in Newark. And now, uh, again, according to the anonymous panel of voters for our NHL Awards Watch, uh, <laughs> the, man, the man is a Jack Adams finalist uh, with Jim Montgomery being the leader uh, for that award right now. Yeah, it's uh, remarkable what happens in a couple of weeks early in the season. Um, I, I want to park the Devils talk here for a couple of seconds, and I, I want to shift to the Rangers. Um, the the Rangers, to me, and Chris Kreider with the uh, the OT heroics yesterday, the one nothing victory over the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I'm not sure how much of this game that you watched. I mean, it wasn't the most entertaining game that we've seen. I mean, Igor Shosturkin only had to make 19 saves, ladies and gentlemen. Kreider scores an OT. There are, you know, goose eggs uh, for, you know, periods one, two, and three for both squads. You know, I came away really impressed by, and maybe I shouldn't have, I've, you know, listen, we've we've been around him for, for so many decades now. We kind of take this thing for granted. I'm always impressed at announcers who, you know, during games where not a whole lot of action is happening, still keep the enthusiasm for the game up. Sam Rosen's a treasure. <laughs> like, he really is. I, I came, honestly, I came out of that game, like, I don't even know who the three stars were. Probably Shosturkin and, and Kreider and, and someone else. Maybe Zibanejad with the assist. But I came out of that game going, man, Sam Rosen is a treat, and we probably take that guy for granted. He was great, and his energy didn't wane all three periods of low event hockey. Yeah, I mean, but you got to remember, my dude's been there probably since the Mike Richter years, right? Like he was there for Richter. He was there for Lundqvist. He's there for Shachirkin. He's used to nothing happening uh, in a lot of games. Uh, you know, he's, uh, So I, he's probably had to hone that skill and that craft and that ability to keep the hype up and keep the fans engaged when, you know, one of the goalies isn't allowing anything to get by them. Um, the Rangers are an interesting team mm-hmm. in the in the sense that last year, when their analytics were a horror show, they were really, yeah. really good offensively. And this year, now that their analytics are actually pretty good um, and trending in the right direction, they're 22nd in goals per game. Now, you can get away with that when you're playing the Flyers and you have to chirkin, and they got away with it last night. But it is interesting that Everything under the hood is humming better this season, and yet the offense isn't anywhere near it was last season. The other yeah. thing about the Rangers that's fun, I got a column on Chichurkin coming out uh, tomorrow, is just the, the cult of personality that's kind of grown up around this goalie in a, in a short period of time. I mean, he's only been with us for four years now, only really two years as a, as a primary starter, and... I got to tell you, man, like you can't find a more popular Ranger. And the idea that they've had this through line, it's kind of underrated, Merrick. And I think it's because the Rangers, you know, only have that one Stanley Cup win since 1940, which again, it's like gold leaving my lips to say that as a Devils fan. But um, Hmm. they've got a very interesting legacy of of goaltenders, don't they? You know, you go back to Eddie Giacomin. Oh my God. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Not, Not just. Not just uh, an interesting legacy of of goaltenders, but adoring their goaltenders. You know, one yeah. of the, one of the greatest images, one of the great images of the '70s, is Ed Jockman returning to the Garden as a member of the Detroit Red Wings and sobbing. Yeah, as you know, as 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 the MSG faithful are reminding him how much they love him. Like there are just some some teams that, and the Rangers might might be Exhibit A. 
who cling to their goaltenders and hold them sacred like newborns. Like, how much <laughs> did people adore Lundqvist? How much did fans adore Mike Richter? How much did they adore Eddie Jockerman, who maybe the maybe the you know who brought out maybe the most emotion of uh, of, of any Rangers goaltender of all time? There is and like goes such a that. intimacy that 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 fans have with their goalies that is almost unparalleled in the history of the NHL. And then it goes beyond that. John Davidson, who, who you know, obviously was a beloved goalie yep. and became a beloved broadcaster. Uh, you know, I think John Van Beesbrook, obviously, the reputation is, has changed a bit in the eyes of many people over the years. But at the time, as a player in New York, I mean, there was a time in New York. And I'm just going to get a little New York nerdy for a second. But there was a time in New York when the New York Rangers had uh, the Mike Richter versus John Van Beesbrook battle of the fan bases, where you had Beezer fans and Richter fans. at the Almost at the same time, the New York Knicks had a battle between the Rod Strickland fans and the Mark Jackson fans. You had warring factions of MSG fandoms <laughs> all talking about how the, you had two great players at the same position uh, battling for supremacy. And it was a very, very interesting time. But yeah, I, I think it's it's funny. I don't, you know, we talk about a lot of teams being goalie factories. Probably one of the more recent ones is probably the Nashville Predators um, and the string of goalies that they had. But, you know, sneakily, the Rangers have been that team for a very, very long time, and I feel like maybe they don't get the acknowledgement of it, partially because it's been a like half century long uh, tradition, and partially because some of those guys simply, you know, didn't have that moment of raising the cup like Richter did. The the one thing that when we're talking about Rangers goalies, we always have to mention just because I love the family and I think that it's if you look at families around the game of hockey, I don't know that there is a family that did more to advance and evolve hockey than the Patricks. I think you always have mm. to go out of your way to talk about, you know, Lauren Shabbat getting injured uh, in the uh, Stanley Cup final against the Montreal Maroons. And here comes Lester uh, because Maroons manager Eddie Girard would not give permission for the backup goaltender to come in or the, the house goaltender or whatever. So here comes 44-year-old Lester Patrick getting out of his suit to go in net for the New York <laughs> Rangers. Like the, the history and the lore of, of all of this just, you know, stretches back into, into what I consider to be, you know, the ultimate hockey royalty family. And that is yeah. the Patricks. Nobody changed yeah. the game and evolved it more than, more than the Patricks and part of Island or part of Rangers net minding legacy, having Lester go in there. All this positive talk about the Rangers is, kind of making me itchy um <laughs> we need to move on well to let's have else. some positive talk about the uh well i will have some positive talk about the islanders then because they're now they're on a heater will that make you feel better if we, if we go to the they islanders from, all of a sudden the, the, the islanders are came, scoring finally <laughs> the islanders came through for me last night because i had them under three and a half goals against the blackhawks but i do want the, the reason i bring this up is because of the blackhawks like so when luke richardson got hired he called his shot right he said, I'm going to make Kyle Davidson's job difficult. And we all laughed. And we're like, mm -hmm. ah, you're a, ter you're a terrible mm -hmm. team with terrible goaltending. Uh, you're going to be bad. You're going to be a, a front runner for the Connor Bedard uh, sweepstakes. Uh, good, good line, but uh, you're going to suck. And, and then Taves and Kane will get traded. They're kind of a tough team to play against, man. <laughs> like, they're not going to be an easy out. I don't think the best laid plans of uh, Kyle Davidson are really going the way they thought it would with the way that he's got them playing. But do you not kind of just look at that and say, this is October hockey and you can play that way in October and you can, you know, you can play hard all you want and that's great. 
but eventually the scale does take over as the season continues here and we'll look back on October and we'll say about the Blackhawks when Taves is gone and Kane is gone, whatever else is it nailed down is gone. We'll look back at October and say, remember the Blackhawks in October? Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> I hope that we do. For the betterment of the franchise, I hope that we do. My worst fear is that they're just sure. going to be like a little bit better than four other teams and, and play themselves out of the Bedard Derby or the top three pick Derby. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think the, the key is, though, is that as feisty and as, as scrappy as a, a team could be with a new coach that obviously brings some pride to the bench and, and doesn't want to lay down or doesn't want to see his team get embarrassed, the difference is is that eventually, you know, Kane and Taves could be elsewhere this season. And, and once you pull that ripcord... Uh, well, now, you, now you've got a real a, a real free fall, right, for this team, uh, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to the Islanders. Um, yeah. The New York <laughs> Islanders, uh, all of a sudden, uh, to torture you as a New Jersey Devils fan, are all of a sudden good after before that being all of a sudden bad. How do you read the Islanders right now? Because... You know, you look at the offseason that Lou Lamarillo had, and sure, the organization played footsies with a couple of players. All they ended up doing was uh, was bringing Romanoff in instead. Um, and they re-signed Barzell to that mega contract. Um, how do you see the Islanders right now, based on what your expectations were of them? Because my expectations of the Islanders were pretty low. I thought, like, okay, I get the excuses from last season, but I don't know still that I see an elite team there. But they're on a heater right now. Wish whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, are you going as what? far as to call the Islanders elite? No, I'm saying that I didn't think they were elite. Where many people looked at okay. them and said, yeah, this is going to be a big bounce back for the Islanders. I kind of like, uh, I'm not sure that I see it. I see a team that's the same as last season. And whether it was the road trip or the COVID or the new building or everything, there's a lot of reasons slash excuses. All I see is a team that got one year older. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I was because I was confused. I was worried about that. You think that the people who claim they'd be elite were correct? Because I don't think they're correct. I think they're a, a middling, middle of the road team uh, with incredible goaltending um, and a specious yeah. offense, and a team that is kind of right there with the Capitals, assuming that the Penguins aren't going to, you know, be middling for all that long. Uh, that are going to be right around the bubble. Uh, you know, I, I thought I thought they definitely rebound in the sense that I do think that the road trip and the COVID of it all and, and some of the things that happened to that team were the reason why they didn't mm-hmm. reach the lofty expectations that some, include, mainly me, had for them last season. Um, but I also think that there needs to be, you know, changes that line up that didn't occur. Now, could they still occur is the question. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day who seemed rather convinced that at the end, that that uh, when all is said and done, Patrick Kane could end up an Islander, um, because of his affinity for Matt Barzell, and uh, and his desire to probably play for, you know, a, a franchise run by an American icon like Lou Lamarillo. Let's assume. So uh, well, maybe there are still some cards to be played for the Islanders, but as currently constituted, I see them as very much a bubble team. Yeah. I am not deceived by this winning streak, um, and their goaltending will obviously keep them competitive. 
Here's the thing. Uh, I think Pat Kane will go to the Islanders at trade deadline if they are a playoff team. And that's unfortunate because if Pat Kane is playing with the Islanders going into the playoffs, we will not see a Patrick Kane mullet. That will not happen <laughs> on a Lou Lamarillo squad. Thank you very much. Right. Our best case is that he goes somewhere else, and uh, and the the, the 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 hair is very much flowing. Um, there's a few things I want to nail down with you here. Um, first of all, Eric Carlson got a hat trick last night. Second of all, Eric Carlson has 15 points and is amongst the NHL scoring leaders and is the top point getter uh, amongst defensemen in the NHL. The top three are all Swedes. It is Carlson. It is Rasmus Dahlin. It is Czech Snotes. Hampus Lindholm. It's Hampus Lindholm after his end-to-end rush last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Listen, it's this year and four more years at a cap hit of 11.5. But... Right now, what are you seeing from Eric Carlson? Like we've said there's a couple of players that I isolated off the top of the show that kind of out of nowhere late in their career had like the bam, like all of a sudden, you know, Joe Sackick throws up 100 points. Wow, like boom. And then a couple years later, he's done uh, Gordie Howe and I think it was 68, I believe, threw up 103 points in one of his final seasons with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, how do you see, I think it was 68, hang on, I wrote this, I wrote this down, so let me actually be accurate here, uh, about it. Oh, you, it pre- was, you prepared for your shows? Uh, yeah, 68, 69, I actually prepared notes for that one. Uh, throws wow. up like 103 points. Nice. Uh, what are you seeing out of Eric Carlson right now? Because, like, all of a sudden, it's like we're saying, hang on a second here, is Eric Carlson, like, 26 years old again? Your thoughts <laughs> on Carlson so, and the Sharks? Dude, there was know, a time great. when Eric Carlson awesome. was a guaranteed Hall of Famer. Like he was a dude playing a point per game pace was Still what is. Eric Carlson did. You think it's a guaranteed Hall of Still Famer? Is. You know, you might For be me, he's right. A Hall of like Famer, you, yeah. you think For about me, he's a Hall of sort Famer. of like, but you think about like the 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 sample size Hall of Famers like Lindros, like Bure, where a stretch of dominance gets you in. Then I think you you make the same argument for for Carlson. Um, one, it bums me out to see him look like himself when the Sharks are a sub 300 point percentage team. Like you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. sync up your watches, uh, to get good right when the team <laughs> needed you to be good before they were going to yeah. be horrible, like sort of on purpose. Um, so that's a bit of a bummer. Right. You kind of pr- talk about the contract about potentially like, I guess maybe someone, taking Eric Carlson off their hands. I still think that's a pretty rich contract. And I still think this is a player that historically has had injury issues that might scare off people. Um, but it makes me happy to mm-hmm. see him excel. And I'm probably somebody out there that is a bit more familiar with the sharks than I, whether it's Shang Pang or Corey Massasick or somebody who covers the team. I do wonder what the removal of Brent Burns from that lineup and maybe that locker room has meant for the Eric Carlson assance, if there's any correlation there, considering they're both defensemen. I I, th- I think the only thing might be uh, power play time. And not just power play time, but power play touches. Whereas, you know, Burns would have X amount of time with the puck on his stick on the power play. Now that's all Carlson. Or before they would have to share it. Now it's all Carlson. Again, mm-hmm. I'm just doing that off the top of my head, saying this is what I probably figure it is, but I don't know. That 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 to me would make the most the most sense. His his time on ice has ticked up a little bit. It's like twenty three fifty one on average, twenty three twenty eight last season. So he's seeing a little bit more ice time 
than he did last season. I don't know. It's it, it, it's interesting. Now, uh, Merrick, do you expect him to shoot 28% for yeah. the rest of the season or no? You do? Okay, good. Absolutely I do, just like I expect Connor McDavid <laughs> to score 100 goals. <laughs> I mean, listen, one of those things could actually happen uh, in theory. Connor's on one, man. It's It's so fun to see. You know, Elliot and I were talking about this when um, when Leon Dreisaitl, uh said that, you know, Connor McDavid could score 60 goals in a season. Um, maybe he was underestimating them. Like, Elliot and I were talking about this at the top of the show. Like, wouldn't it be, because you're always thinking, like, okay, what's the big story going to be? You know, which, you know, record that we thought will never be touched, which one could be threatened? Can you imagine... Because listen, the Ovi Gretzky chase is the Ovi Gretzky chase. Can you imagine if we had a McDavid Gretzky chase over ninety two? That'd be Could amazing. Can you imagine how must see the Oilers get? Like, first of all, like that is one of those teams where I know if you're a, a hockey watch, like last night was a bajillion games and you're bouncing around. I get it, um, but if you're a hockey watcher right now, again, Edmonton is must see. And a lot of it is McDavid. A lot of it is Dreisaitl, Stuart Skinner for a lot of people too. But you have to watch Edmonton. Like you do. It's just one of those, I will pay money to watch those two. I will watch the entire three periods and blank out every other screen. Like that's just how good. Like that, like those plays in the first period last night by Dreisaitl, like that backhanded rocket, like that is Mm -hmm. a rocket of a pass on his backhand that he sends to Evander Kane for uh, for Kane's uh, first of two in that period. You know, hard, like, you're just listening at home or we're watching on 360, that is, like, super next-level elite. I'm fascinated with guys that that do things on their backhand. And to me, that's one of the, like, we've always talked about Crosby in the backhand and what yeah, he's able Sid, to do. Yeah. And, you know, if you're playing on the left side, yeah, if you're playing on the left side of Crosby, get, get ready for the puck because he plays a lot on his backhand. There was a thing that Mark Savard used to do that was better than anybody else. He could, on hard rims, he could take the puck off the boards on his backhand, spin around, and fire. Of course, it's a sauce pass because he was incapable of throwing anything on the ice. A sauce pass <laughs> perfectly to anybody in the zone. It was it was like one of those skills where players look at it and say, how the F does he do that? It's one of those like where if you're a player, you get how tough that is. If you're a casual fan, you go, oh, that looked neat, but they didn't score. But players will look at it and go, holy geez, like you did that on your backhand. That's remarkable. I'm forever impressed with Dreisaitl, McDavid, Mark Savard, and the ability to play so much hockey on the backhand. Now, you brought up the Gretzky record, and it's important. I've, I've yeah. said for years, and, and I, I say this as the official uh, U.S. correspondent of the Jeff Merrick show, that um, <laughs> one of the ways you get hockey to break through the noise in the United States is through mm-hmm. statistical achievement. Um, we are a, a culture that loves big, fat, juicy numbers, big scoring rates, record-breaking performances. Yep. We're obsessed with fantasy hockey. Now we're obsessed with wagering on the over and under of statistical achievement in games. Yep. Like We're a numbers-driven fandom. But we're also a legends-driven fandom. Do you stand on the shoulder of giants as a, as a professional sports star? And so when we talk about the Ovechkin goal chase, it's not simply Alex Ovechkin trying to become the all-time leading goal scorer in the NHL. Like, congratulations. It's Alex Ovechkin trying to overcome Wayne Gretzky, 
who, along with Gritty and the Stanley Cup, are the most is the most recognizable thing to a casual American <laughs> sports fan about hockey. So it's not him setting a record; it's him breaking Gretzky's record, the gold standard. In McDavid's case, yeah. it's not simply just like you've scored the most goals in an NHL season. Congratulations! It's you are better yeah. than Wayne Gretzky at goal scoring. And so when you talk about ways to make the sport resonate with a casual American sports fan, it's that it is it is chasing. Wayne Gretzky down in the record book. And if, if that was ever to happen, and I speak again as an employee of the ESPN, a subsidiary of the Disney Corporation, you know it's going to get massive coverage here in the States yeah, if any of those Gretzky records are ever threatened because that is a brand. Americans like this. We can get very excited about Roman Reigns wrestling in WrestleMania, but if Roman Reigns wrestles <laughs> The Rock in WrestleMania, then we're all paying attention. Yeah. It's a really good. It's a really good point too, and you wonder. It, it sort of winks at this idea of okay, so what? How is the game allowing that to happen? Like I'm with you. Like this is the one thing about, you know, every city wants their Olympics to smash all the records. Like I was in <laughs> Beijing in 2008 for for Michael Phelps. Okay, like I was there for it, and it was spectacular. Usain Bolt, of course, that was tremendous. But like every single Olympics, they want the athletes at their games to smash all the you know, the records that were once considered unbreakable. The thing about hockey is it's always really come shy because I don't know if there's a way that you can really do it about freeing up the game and making it more accommodating for players to smash the records of legends. This isn't football where you can do it with that one player. This is a flow physical game, not a stop and start physical game. I don't know what you can do, Wish. Do you have any ideas other than maybe for Oilers games they use a smaller puck? I don't know. <laughs> I can't find the goal the easier. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, is there anything that comes to your mind? Well, I mean, you make the joke about the smaller puck, but I mean, haven't we sort of incrementally moved to a place where these records can be threatened? You know, the, the shrinking of goalie equipment. The, the Shanahan Symposium rules changes in 2005, um, the gradual shifting away from things like cross-checking and obstruction in the last decade. Like, like we've, we've slowly moved towards a sport that has fostered all this stuff. That's like when you and I talked about the offensive explosion last year, the highest scoring season per team per game since 1995, 96. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about the, the COVID thing and, and all these other factors, but it does fundamentally come back to the idea that scoring has increased inch by inch every season for like five of the last six years. And so we didn't have to go four on four. Like we all thought we might have to, we didn't have to make the goalpost look like parentheses. Like I kind of wanted to, um, the game has Mm. kind of been pushing in a rules perspective towards this era. And at the same time, because of the salary cap and, and other factors, the quality of player throughout the lineup has now, gotten better and gotten more offensive so you had sort of these this confluence this perfect storm of factors that have all added up to the era that we're in where you could see Connor mcdavid potentially threaten a gretzky goal scoring record without having to do anything super dramatic like you know making the puck the size of a reese's cup (laughs) a couple of things here one uh the way the game is played affects this when Gretzky played and scored 92 goals, 212 points, etc. If you were a trailing winger or a back checking winger, you had one job and that job was to make sure 
that the rushing defenseman didn't get in front of you. That was it. Like, that was your job. Take your time through the neutral zone. As long as the defenseman doesn't get past you, you've done your job. That has completely changed. We now call that back pressure, and everyone insists on it. The other thing is, if you're going to get there, you know what needs to happen, Wish? Goalies need to have collective amnesia. Because the big problem is they know how to play the damn position now. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. goaltenders know actually how to play goal. You go back and you look at those old, uh, those old games from when Gretzky smashed records and look at goaltending now. I've always maintained there is no position in all of sports that has profoundly changed the way that goaltending has in hockey. It's completely right. different because, mind you, it took them 100 years, but they finally figured out the way to play. I know this offends a lot of goaltenders, and <laughs> I apologize. But look at the way you look at the way that uh, the game is played now from goalies. It's remarkably different. Remarkably. Yeah. So as an era versus era comparison, you know, you're going to obviously hear a lot about the way that hockey was played in different eras. But I mean, when Gretzky played in the Firewagon era, when we see what's happening today, again, it becomes even more impressive that Ovi and and McDavid Matthews do this kind of stuff. Which which is why I really want to see this Connor chase. Like if if Connor can do it, that's not by, if he scores 93 goals, that's really not 93. That's probably like 123. I'm sure someone else can you know, figure, that, figure uh, that out from, from generation to generation. But you know what I mean? Like that just makes it that much more impressive. Then you start talking about, to your point, the real big juicy numbers that ESPN loves to splash mm-hmm. all over the screen. Then oh, I'm with yeah. you. Then I'm love with it. you. I love, love that juice. I love that. So- the Oilers, um, the Oilers yes. did really well last night. The Oilers did really well last night. I was, I was interested by, by something Jay Woodcroft said last night, though. Uh, Jay Woodcroft, uh, formerly of um, the Littlest Hobo, who said, uh, "I thought yes, tonight." Thank you, thank you. <laughs> he thank said, you. "I thought tonight we played towards our, our we played towards identity, our identity. I thought tonight we played towards our identity." And I read that and I'm just like, "What's what is your what just like?" chaos like what it's a seven to four win over the predators on november 1st like i i i love the oilers i picked them to win the cup i truly hope this isn't their identity they gotta be able to lock it down at some point don't they uh i guess but <laughs> i don't know i think that i think i no, honestly don't you get that their their identity is you know, we need to create an environment where Dreisaitl can do his thing and Connor can do his thing. Like, to be honest with you, I don't know, and I've, I've said this, but Connor's the best player in the game, period. Although, I don't know who I'm more impressed by, game in and game out. And maybe I just take Connor McDavid for granted too much because we've seen so much of him just dancing through guys. Just dancing through, like, oh, three New York Rangers? Ha, 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 watch this. Like, we, we've, we've seen all of this. I continue to be impressed by Leon Dreisaitl, maybe even more than Connor McDavid, just from an individual skill set point of view. The backhanded passing, the way he does faceoffs, um, deking out Robert Thomas last week on his knees, like he's playing mini sticks in the basement with his kids. Uh, last year, playing on one leg as you know the world's first oh. stationary hockey player that can produce. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to be impressed with Connor, and again, he is the best player in the game. Period. But I can't stop watching Leon Dreisaitl, man. I just What's can't. amazing about it is that they, 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 
they've been able to do it by having those guys in separate lines. Now, granted, like I think I saw, I, I wrote about it this morning. Like Connor's only played three seconds without Drysaddle on the ice on the power play, so like they do see ample time with each other. But if I told you that McDavid was going to threaten ninety, you know, ninety-three goals uh, this season, and I told you that a few years ago, you would have been convinced that he was playing on a line with Drysaddle, wouldn't you? But yet they're able to keep them separate 100%. and still get these results from both of them. It's incredible. Well, so here's what I wonder about. And again, getting way ahead of ourselves here. It's November 2nd and we're talking about McDavid smashing Gretzky's 92 goal. So here's what I wonder about. If it starts to look like McDavid could do this. And again, we may look back at this conversation. What the hell are we thinking? But if McDavid can do this and you're Jay Woodcroft, and you're tucked in a playoff position, how much of your team sort of revolves around <laughs> McDavid getting that record? Knowing that, like, Woodcroft's not not dumb. Like, there's, the, there's the, the individual achievement, and then there's the collective achievement. The big prize is the Stanley Cup. But if Connor's close... How much of the team, because I think Washington will be this way when Ovechkin gets real close. Everything's just going to be around, get the puck to Ovi, get the puck to Ovi. You know, we're not a playoff team anymore. Everything's constructed around who can, you know, who can feather passes over to Ovechkin. And the team's going to, in some ways, revolve around getting Ovechkin that record. If Connor's threatening, do you think they just load up five on five to say nothing of the power play and do everything they can just to get Connor that record? Well, let's look at it this way. How much money has Alex Ovechkin made the Washington Capitals in the last 20 years? Oh, my. They saved the franchise. Saved the franchise. Yeah. okay. So the answer to that is, transform, of course, they will. They completely transform the franchise. Transform the franchise. Le- Leonsis will petition to have uh, offside eliminated. Ovi will goal hang in the circle the entire game. Just, <laughs> just not, not even move. And they'll just get in the puck and they'll they score the goal. To, because... They, 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 they used to say about Phyllis Bazito, if you wanted to get him to back check, you needed to bring a crane to the rink. I think it might be the <laughs> same thing for Ovechkin. So, so, of course, they'll set him up because, like, it, he, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what they are, where they're going, what the standings are. Like, that, that is the moment for him. And that is the moment that they owe him because he has made that franchise billions of dollars. In Connor's case, everybody in the, in the Edmonton mm-hmm. Oilers organization, whether they believe it or not, serves at the pleasure of Connor McDavid. That is it. He is the franchise. He is the guy. You have to keep him mm-hmm. happy. If he has a chance to set a record, guess what? Help him set the record. <laughs> it supersedes anything else. Uh, and, and, and again, like I understand that like Connor himself will say, well, it's all about the cup. All right, sure, buddy. If you're at 90 goals with four games left, um, maybe we can, we, can, we can worry about next year. Let me shift gears here. Let me ask you about the uh, the Sportico piece that came out yesterday about franchise value, and now we have the story about the Ottawa Senators uh, prepping for sale. I mean, that's a headline we've been anticipating uh, since Eugene passed. Um, but we look at franchise value, we look at player compensation, and we think about the Players Association, we think about the NHL, we think about Gary Bettman's number one job, which is, and I'm always reminded about this, Gary Bettman has one primary job, and that is franchise value. Keep it high and keep increasing it. Um, to me, there's one date in hockey history that I don't think we pay enough attention to because it changed the game profoundly, not on the ice, 
Although you could argue on the ice with league parity. So maybe it is on the ice as well. It changed the game in a lot of ways and ways that we're still seeing the effects of today. Let me ask you a question you probably won't have an answer to. (laughs) February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2005. Two things happened. YouTube was launched and this (laughs) happened in hockey. Do you know what this is? No, I don't. Please tell me. It happened in Niagara Falls, and yes, Niagara Falls on Valentine's Day. That is not lost on people. That was the day that the NHL Players Association, Ted Saskin specifically, and Bill Daly met in Niagara Falls, and the NHLPA agreed to a salary cap. Mm. That was the beginning of franchise values skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. because you locked in both your labor and your product. Players are both the product and the labor at the same time, and you locked it in. And look what happened after Wish. I don't think we spent enough time th- like thinking about that date as a pivotal day in hockey. Like I just mentioned, Lester Patrick goes in net against the Maroons, and that's one of the things that we all talk about, and records all get discussed about as well. But from a business point of view, like that might have been the most Given where the game is at now, we can all quibble about what the salary cap is, has done to the league and what the salary cap has done to players, etc. No denying what it's done to franchise value. That might be, from a business point of view, that might be the most important day in the history of the NHL. Mm. Thoughts? Important, yeah. Uh, positive, debatable. Um, look, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why the league has become as financially healthy as it as it's become um the caps part of it obviously the cap made the league more attractive in theory for people to invest in it um i also think the cap uh the, the argument that the cap has created a competitive balance i think is is misguided um i think it's made a a real fat middle and and not a lot of, of high end and it's kind of mirac- I'll tell you what the most miraculous thing about the cap era is the Chicago Blackhawks and the fact that they won a cup and then because of the cap they had to implode their roster right of yeah. of all of their role players your Bufflins and your Versteegs and all these guys they had to get gut their team basically and then they won two more that's a miracle <laughs> like that's a pause that's a that. miracle pa- 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 in the cap era I think I think there's a lesson there I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that taught the NHL a lesson. That Which is? When you have, because, well, their, their core all stayed the same, right? Taves is still there. Kane is still there. Seabrook, Keith, like all the, the main players all stayed, right? Patrick mm-hmm. Sharp, like all the, the, the main guys still stayed. And I think the lesson, and some teams learned it and others didn't, was, you know, when you're when you're faced with a, with that decision, whether you should pay your quote-unquote middle-class players and reward them for playoff success or let them go and find other players like them because they exist in this new NHL slash AHL universe, you go and you get the new guys. Now, they were forced into it, but I think that there was a lesson there that I think a lot of smart teams picked up on. You know, your bottom six, like, don't pay those guys given how the NHL economy by way of salary cap works. Go find other guys like that. Go find, you know, to 
some people's point, your market inefficiencies with a lot of these players. I think there was, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I think there was a huge lesson with the Blackhawks doing that not once, not twice, but thrice, winning three Stanley Cups and having to, to shed, you know, the snake had to shed its skin. Right. And then the other lesson is win young. Win, 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 win. Yeah, Patrick Kane with guys on is, level. <laughs> is, is on it. No, I mean, Kane and Taze are both on their second contract, right? Neither of them were, were entry level, but they're both on their second contract. Yeah. Then when they signed those deals that, you know, are paying them, you know, 10.5 against the cap, it was post cup runs. Like, I, I think, right? I think Kane, I think, signed in July 2014. So when was their last cup? 15? Or was it 14? I'm, I'm getting my years mixed up. It's the COVID of it all. Try, try, I'm trying to think of um, who their highest-paid player was. Would it have been Brian Campbell? Yeah, yeah, probably at that point. Probably at that point it was. So so Kane and Taves signed those big deals, and the Blackhawks get their one more cup in 15. So they, essentially it was paying them for the other two cups, and, they, and then they win the other cup. But, like, I think the lesson there is always going to be win young. You know, when, when, when your salaries are, are in check – you know, win before you have to pay Nathan mm-hmm. McKinnon <laughs> his big contract. You know, win young. That's the lesson. Uh, that's under the cap. Yeah. But to go to go to your point though, dude. Like, I I don't think that the cap is is completely evil. Um, I think that there's something to be said for for putting franchises on solid footing, which it clearly did coming out of the the lockout. I think there's a lot of other things that happened that were unforeseen, like the rise of the Blackhawks, like a lot of big uh, uh, city teams like Boston and others uh, rising to prominence, L.A., um, like the style of play mm-hmm. being where it is, like the the wave of young stars. You know, when the salary cap was put in place, we had no idea that we had the, the, our own Magic and Bird and Ovi and Crosby, like, ready to roll. Like, we didn't know. Yeah. We didn't know any of this stuff. Outdoor games, we didn't know any of this stuff. So... Assigning too much of the credit to the salary cap for the financial state of the league currently, I think is 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 a, is a fool's errand. Um, I do agree with you that it clearly helped franchise values. I don't necessarily know if it helped the overall financial health of the game because is it better for hockey to have juggernauts than it is to have parity? And, and that's always going to be a question that I'll ask about the salary cap era. Like, is it better for the league to have teams that are kept together, that reward teams for drafting and developing their own talent, um, and that are able to build out competitive teams year in and year out than it is to occasionally have these quick hitters? Now, it's a tough argument to make because so, yeah, we've had that's, multiple that's, Stanley Cup that, champions. So that, that, that speaks to the NHL side of things. From the Players Association side of things, I think you asked the question, is it the Players Association's job to get the most amount of money to the top players or to get the most jobs available? You know what I mean? I mean, it's probably the most jobs available because they're serving the totality of the membership. But, I mean, look, it's undeniable. The stars. As, I, as, I, as, I, as, I look, as I look at the Sportico chart, man, as I look at the Sportico chart and, and I see how much money that these yeah. teams have made and what they're valued at, all I think is like, damn it, Connor, you're underpaid. <laughs> like, honestly, like, there's so much money in I hockey think most these players, days. I, I, I think most players are. Yeah, I really exactly. Do. I think most. I think. I think most. I think most players are. Connor might be the most egregious, and he's the one that during his last contract negotiation, because I think it was going to be like in the neighborhood of fourteen. You know, took less to leave more money for Drysidle. Right. 
Like if you can make that now, what's argument funny, for one player taking the max of 20%, it's Connor. What's funny about this, though, is that, you know, the NHL might have been ahead of the curve here because I don't know if you've noticed, but the NBA is making salary cap noise now. And that'll be an interesting battle. Oh, My God. You talk, you talk, you talk about well-compensated players and star and stars getting their getting their uh, their money man the nba is is the place to be so if we're dialing back that yep. and now we're going to cap that league that's going to be a real interesting battle uh it's interesting too because what's the one thing that people always point out about salary caps it pits player versus player at times that can be nasty uh okay bud uh your devils are hot enjoy it while it lasts they have the oilers on the horizon we'll see what happens there and only two games uh, on the go this evening, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, struggling as they might be uh, against the upstart Buffalo Sabres. You be well, wish. We'll talk in seven days. Appreciate that, Merrick. Thanks for not asking me about the Leafs. Um, I, re- I truly, honestly, thank you so much or the, for not asking or, me about or, the Leafs. Or the, or the, Van- or, or the Vancouver Canucks. Or the Vancouver Canucks, Canucks. Those are the yes. Two. Those are the t- <laughs> try to, good luck having conversations, though, bringing up those two teams. Uh, you be good. We'll talk in seven, pal. Take care, bud. There he is, uh, Greg Wyshynski, uh, our friend from ESPN. Uh, check him out either on Twitter, uh, well, not either on Twitter, but on Twitter and also at, uh, at ESPN.com and ESPN's YouTube channel as well for The Drop. 